Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. And Dan, welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. It's a special version of the Peristyle Podcast. We call it the Recruiting Blast. We have Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, National Recruiting Analyst, joining us on the line. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, the holiday season, and this is the time that recruiting starts to heat up. Interesting time for USC because they basically have a full class and this is something unique. So we're kind of seeing how they're going to approach this, and I guess more importantly, how the commits themselves are going to approach this home stretch signing day. Certainly, and we have a lot of uh, topics to get to. There's been some questions over the past few weeks. We haven't done a recruiting podcast in about a month or so, so apologize for that, but we'll jump on here and try to get to some of the questions that were sent in. But before we do, just kind of give an overall uh, we're going to talk with Gerard a few of the, the major topics here. And I think first, Gerard, um, to me, when when you talked about Lane Kiffin's plan uh, coming through, trying to get through these sanctions, uh, we both thought it was, was brilliant. No one had done it before. There wasn't a blueprint to go off of. And the way he, you know, stocked up with the 30 guys in the one year and then, you know, came back with a little under 15 the next year, plus the early enrollees leaving two or three early enrollees for this class and knowing that this class would probably be a pretty good one because the the product on the field was supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. And, you know, Lane Kiffin had already wrapped up the number one class, according to rivals.com. Um, you know, I don't know if you could say it's based on some of the expectations that happened that was going to happen during this year. Matt Barkley coming back, TJ McDonald coming back AP number one to start the season. Obviously, USC fans know that it hasn't quite worked out that way. Still, you know, still ranked number one, according to Rivals.com. But what kind of impact uh, has this season had going seven and five? And you're still not sure which bowl game uh, is coming up. What kind of impact can this have on this class? You know, what's ranked number one right now and, and possibly even down the road for the class of 2014 or 15? Well, if you're talking about each recruit, and kind of their feedback throughout the season after each loss, it's been minimal. Uh, it's been a disappointing season. I think you really have to look into January and when we get down to the stretch how much it impacts because right now the kids are still committed to USC. They have yet to take a lot of official visits, and there's going to be a group of guys that do take official visits. Now, the good thing for USC is that they also have a large group of those commitments that are going to be early enrollees. Um, they've got seven guys right now that look like they're going to be early enrollees. And if they can get, you know, about half of the class in as early enrollees and those guys don't take a bunch of visits and they, you know, prolong the process until January, then it becomes a little easier. Then you at least got your foot in the door. And I think it also kind of reconfirms, uh, reinstates the recruiting class. The kids that are not early enrollees can look and say, okay, Sue Cravens, you know, committed, signed, done deal. He bought into it. Max Brown signed, done deal, he bought into it. Justin Davis signed, done deal, bought into it. And then so those guys that are not yet signed and they have to wait till February, 
you know, there's a little more confidence, like, okay, the class is not going to fall apart on us. So that's a big deal for USC. And I think I'd like to go back to just what you said with the strategy and kind of the, the tactical decision on how to roll over scholarships. And, and really, we do have to say, you know, it was a really well played out plan. Um, I think USC maybe got a, a little ahead of themselves with the 30 class that they got there in, in 2010, 2011, mainly because, you know, they wanted to get those numbers back to 85. That was the year where, they, you know, after, after the sanctions were announced, they had transfers, they had a lot of just uh, guys kind of fall through the cracks and they got real low on their scholarship numbers. They still had a year where they could play the 85 um, in 2011, so they wanted to get those numbers up. So they did, for that last season, get those numbers up. But I think they took you know, a handful of guys as early enrollees specifically that wouldn't normally be recruited by USC. And so that kind of puts them in a place where they've got some guys on the roster still that are guys that are not going to contribute a whole lot, and they're kind of taking up space. But, you know, you can't really get too upset if you're a USC fan because, again, it was just who can we get in and how many guys can we get in. They were trying to get as many guys as they could to get back to that 85 number, and taking 30 guys, the only way you could do that is to take some of those guys as early enrollees. And, unfortunately, you're always strapped and, uh, you know, who can get in early to a school like USC. It's, you know, there's some schools who can get a lot of junior college players in as mid-year grads. USC is not one of those schools, and they've been burned by that time and time again, trying to get a JUCO uh, four-star prospect in a guy that could maybe make an immediate impact, and then he falls through. You know, Jared Bowman would be a good example, a guy that looked like he was for sure going to be an early enrollee. Uh, he had planned to be an early enrollee, you know, out of his freshman year, seemed to have everything all lined up academically to be an early enrollee, and then the next thing you know, he can't get in as an early enrollee. He has to come in in May. And that's all about those initial and original counters, and we've gone in about that, you know, time and time again on the Peristyle. I won't, you know, go into that again. But it's one of those things that it really affects the classes. And I think with USC, you know, they have done that great job of making sure they could kind of, you know, just make lemonade out of lemons, basically. And with this class, I think the real big thing now is this home stretch and the in-home visits and really kind of just, you know, again, crossing the T's and dotting the I's with the guys that are early enrollees. That's going to be very important to kind of solidifying the class and making sure that the core group, the, the real, I think, real important guys of the group get in. I mean, you've got really some of the best players that USC is going to have committed uh, in this class are guys that are going to be early enrollees. Um, you know, Kenny Bigelow, who's a 6'3", 295-pound defensive tackle. At this point, he's not taking any official visits. He's solid to USC. He's an early enrollee. He's crucial. He's a crucial part of this class as a defensive tackle. You can never get enough defensive linemen, and you can never get enough really good five-star defensive linemen. I mean, that's a guy that you can build around. Max Brown, you know, a possible future quarterback, 6'5", 215 pounds, Army All-American. He's still playing right now. He's probably going to end up in the 4A uh, Washington State Championship, again, for Skyline High School in Sammamish, Washington. Uh, another five-star guy, another early enrollee, Sue Cravens, probably, you know, maybe the best player on the West Coast. Uh, a guy that's going to be coming in as a safety, you know, 6'1", 215 pounds, um, been completely dominant on both sides of the ball this year for Vista Marietta. He's a guy that's an early enrollee. He's a guy that could end up testing and pushing for a starting job uh, next year for USC because of the loss of the safeties that they have. Justin Davis, a guy that I'm huge on. I think he's going to be a huge, huge asset to USC from the standpoint 
of he's a guy that squares his shoulders as a running back and gets north and south. He's a one-cut guy. He's 6'1", about 205, 210 pounds. He's going to get a lot bigger. He's going to get stronger. To me, he reminds me a lot of a Deshaun Jackson or excuse me, Deshaun Foster, not Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson would be the opposite. Deshaun Jackson is kind of what USC is using right now as running backs, and that's why they can't get fourth and goal, third and goal, short yarder situations. They can't move the pile. They don't have running backs that can really break tackles on their own and create. Justin Davis is that guy that's going to be big enough and strong enough and fast enough uh, to be able to get those yards where those yards don't normally exist because maybe the offensive line misses a block. Um, you got Kylie Fitz, a 6'3", 6'4", 265-pound uh, defensive lineman. He looks like he's going to be a defensive end, but another guy that you could bring in and maybe bulk up and move him inside. Um, you've got uh, you know Eldridge Massington. That's going to be a guy that we're going to have to watch a little bit. He's taken night school classes. Um, he didn't really become a guy that was an early enrollee candidate until he blew his knee uh, over the summer at a Tennessee volunteer camp. And so then the USC coaches said, well, you're not going to be playing football this fall, so now you've got to be able to come in, be an early enrollee for us, be able to do some of your rehab here at USC so you can be ready for spring ball. So we're going to see, you know, now that uh, his academic uh, calendar has been kind of bumped up and, and he's trying to get out early, you know, these are the kind of guys that all of a sudden in the last minute they don't have a course they're supposed to take uh, or or something falls through. Usually the guys that make it at early enrollees and you don't have to worry about, they have that plan for quite a while. And the guys that I've talked about, they've had that plan for quite a while. Chris Hawkins, another guy who's going to be an early enrollee, a great student, has had it planned for a while. Uh, you know, 5'10", 165 pounds, uh, a guy that, um, you know, you look at USC's defensive uh, secondary and uh, quarterback position, there's not a lot of depth there. There's not a lot of guys that are proven there. So, you know, when you have guys like Chris Hawkins that are able to come in early and, and develop within the system, get another, you know, semester of, of spring ball under their, under their belt, that's going to be really huge for them. And so, you know, right there for, you know, the, the USC early enrollees, that's going to be very significant. The one guy, and I was kind of maybe saving this for a war room tidbit, but since we haven't had a Peristyle podcast in such a long time, I'll drop it right now. Woo. There's going to be some question here whether Ty Isaac can get in early. There's still some back and forth, and if you remember, his school originally stated that they would not allow him to graduate early. Uh, Juliet Catholic has a policy in which they don't allow kids to graduate early. There's some tangled stuff with that. There's some other things going on. Um, it's still kind of up in the air whether he's going to be able to get in uh, to USC for spring ball. Still very solid. Um, in fact, there was just another update uh, from the Midwest that came up after we talked to him and kind of clearing the air on any rumors that he was talking to other schools. Um, he's probably going to officially visit USC December 7th, but really this coach has got to go back there for their in-home visits, sit down with his counselors, kind of go over his transcripts and make sure that he can get in early. If he can't, then he's going to probably come in maybe January 18th with that other big group of committed recruits that are not going to actually sign until signing day. So the two big dates right now that we're looking at are December 7th for the early enrollees, uh, and that will also include not just the commitments, but Leon McQuay, uh, who's the five-star safety from uh, Sefner, Florida, uh, that USC has been recruiting for quite a while. He'll be there, and then you have the big January 18th visit, which will include the commits, and then a few guys that are not committed, maybe a few uh, 
southern guys that uh, USC has been recruiting for quite a while, and uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But really, it's about maintaining the core of this class. And like I said at the very beginning of my whole rant montage here, <laughs> it's about solidifying that, that early group because that's going to maintain confidence with the whole group afterward. It's kind of a domino effect. You know, you start to have early enrollees start popping and taking visits and all of a sudden there's wavering, then that would obviously cause those guys that are waiting until signing day to do the same. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how, how it goes and, and how the uh, the core class kind of stays together. That was uh, Hook's question about which guys would early enrollees. He also wanted to know when the deadline was for to submit their – their letter of intent. Actually, it's not a letter of intent, right? It's a, it's like a, it's really just financial paperwork, financial aid. Um, they have some things that they sign and sometimes they have some mock letter of intent, uh, papers that they sign just for the media and just at the school. Um, December 15th, uh, I believe is the day that that all happens. Um, it, it could be December 9th. I think it's the earliest. And then I think it goes to December 15th. Um, it's usually right before uh, the dead period for recruiting. Okay, um, and we can before we get into some questions too. Uh, you know, there's a there's some battles for guys that are on this USC commit list. You said it's very important to keep these guys together. Do you want to go over some of the guys you haven't mentioned yet? Um, do you want me to name off names, or you just want to kind of rattle off some of the guys and what the battles? Well, are? we'll focus in because we talked a little bit about uh, some of the early enrollees and kind of where they stand already. So no need to kind of rehash that. I think, you know, kind of like any war, you know, there's going to be those little battles that uh, to win the war, you've got to win those battles. And I think, you know, for USC, it, it, there's, there's guys that are still out there, those guys that are going to take those official visits. Those are going to be the guys that they're going to have to really battle for. And it's mostly that group, that secondary group of guys that ends up uh, waiting until signing day. You know, Eddie Vanderdose, 6'3", 305 pound, uh, off our defensive tackle uh, from uh, Placer, California, just took his official visit to UCLA. A lot of sources say that UCLA feels like they're very much in it. Um, he likes UCLA. The one thing that he doesn't like about UCLA is the defensive scheme um, and probably the lack of NFL um, production that the, the program has had over the years. They haven't had a lot of guys go into the NFL. They've had even fewer be successful uh, from a defensive or offensive line standpoint in recent years. Um, but he did like you know Westwood, and, and definitely it sounds like he had a good time. Uh, he's going to take some more visits. There's a possibility uh, that Notre Dame tries to get in there for an official visit. Um, Oregon, uh, basically every school that USC lost to this year is going to try to line up and get themselves an official visit because they have that card that says, hey, look it, we beat USC. Look at the season USC had. Look at the season we had. And so that, in that respect, you know, it opens up that door a little bit for these other teams to recruit against USC. And it was something that USC allowed to happen. When you lose on the field, it just creaks that window open, that little door open is just enough. Somebody can get their foot in there and say, hey, why don't you come in for an official visit? Or, hey, why don't I come in for an in-home visit and talk to your family? And then they can kind of, you know, negotiate a little bit uh, of more contact. And then that's just basically uh, kind of a slippery slope, if you will. So Eddie Vanderdose is going to be a guy that they're going to have to battle with down the stretch. Um, I'd say at this point he's probably roughly 70 to 75% committed to USC. Um, you know, I know that sounds like, how can you be 75% committed to something? Aren't you, when you're committed, isn't the definition of committed being 100% ready to go? 
But in this day and age with recruiting, and I think we're obviously at some point going to have to adjust the terminology in how we talk about recruits and commits and this and that, I think uh, the most we could do now is just kind of give you those gray areas. And at this point, I'd say if there was a scale from 100 to, to zero as far as uh, being committed, I'd say he's in that 70 uh, percentile right now for Eddie Vanderdose. Um, Jalen Ramsey, five-star quarterback who just came out here on an unofficial visit uh, to Los Angeles, not just really to Los Angeles, but to Southern California, actually went out, stayed with Chris Hawkins, uh, went to uh, the Ranch Cucamonga Vista Marietta game uh, in Marietta uh, last Friday to go just kind of hang out at the game, went to the you know Ontario Mills Mall, uh, Victoria Gardens, just kind of took a tour of Southern California and just absolutely loved it. Uh, he, he just loves California. He feels very comfortable in California, I think personality-wise. He's a kid, you know, from the first time I spoke to him, really jumped out at me as a USC-type personality, kind of kid that, you know, I think can leave home and really have no regrets. And, you know, this unofficial visit, which was, I believe, his third uh, visit unofficially uh, to Los Angeles and to USC, uh, was a hit and really, I think, will go a long way to kind of solidifying um, his commitment. He's going to be a guy that's going to go through the process, though. He's going to take uh, – three more visits, and that's going to be the full allotment of visits. USC will get his last visit January 18th, but he's going to visit Mississippi State. He's going to visit uh, Washington, and there's probably going to be an Alabama visit in there. The chatter there is that he might be slipping a little bit uh, with Alabama. He might not be quite as high on Alabama uh, as uh, he you know, was maybe earlier in the, in the summer. And you know, Alabama came after him really hard after he committed to USC in the summer. And so there was a lot of talk there about Alabama. Um, Florida still there. He took you know, his official visit to Florida earlier in the season. Uh, but right now he's USC's to lose. I'd actually put him more in that 80-85 percentile. I think he's he's pretty solid guy, but, you know, he's going back home, and SDSEC is going to have a lot of people in their ear, and he's living in Tennessee, and we all know people hate Lane Kiffin in Tennessee, so he's got to hear that every, every day. So it's going to be something that, you know, wears on him a little bit, but I think personality-wise he's the kind of kid that's, uh, that's really not going to bear under the pressure. I, I think that might even – kind of work against those schools uh, trying to recruit him. Um, then you've got Jason Hatcher, who's just up the road there in Louisville. You know, Jason's kind of an interesting guy because Jason's a guy that hasn't really been able to get into his uh, official visits. You know, Trinity High School, the high school he goes to is a, is a national uh, power, and they've, you know, been pretty, pretty big on the high school scene the last few years. And so, you know, with these kind of schools, you're just not taking off and going on visits on Friday nights. Um, you know, high school coaches really just don't put up with it. So he's a guy that's kind of had to push everything until after the season, and we're going to see kind of how it plays out with him. 6'3", 240-pound defensive end, um, going to be another big guy for USC because he's a defensive lineman, and USC needs those defensive linemen. They've got a good young defensive line, a good nucleus now. You definitely want to add to it. I mean, this can be really what takes them – to that next level of being a dominant defense again is bringing in this young group of guys and having that depth and that rotation of quality players along the defensive line. Hatcher brings that as a weak side defensive end, a guy that's athletic enough to kind of be a stand-up outside linebacker, um, you know, in a two-point stance, but, you know, big and strong enough that when he develops, he's going to be a great weak side rusher. He's looking at Louisville. He's looking at Ohio State. He's looking at Florida. 
the thing that I didn't mention with Jalen Ramsey that also comes into play, I think, with Jason Hatcher is Tennessee. The Tennessee job is going to be very intriguing and kind of interesting to watch. Right now, Jalen's not really thinking about Tennessee. Uh, Jason is kind of waiting to see what happens with Tennessee. If they bring in a coach, and it really doesn't matter which coach they bring in, whoever they bring in, the first guy they're going to target is going to be Jalen Ramsey. That is going to be target number one because you got to go in and make a statement and you got to tell the ball fans, hey, look, we're locking down our state. That's the first thing you hear out of a coach's mouth uh, in, his, in his initial press conference every time. He'll sit down and he'll say, we're going to build a fence around our backyard and people aren't going to take, you know, anybody from Tennessee's backyard and beat us with them. And then we're going to go out to Georgia and then we're going to go out to South Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. But the guy that they're going to want to make a statement with is Jalen Ramsey. And the second guy they'll probably want to make a statement with is Jason Hatcher. So that's going to be interesting to see if they actually bring in a coach that can make some waves with those two um, and maybe sway them a little bit. Uh, they're going to recruit them really hard, but that's not so much the issue is, you know, do they bring in a guy like Kirby Smart? Do they make a big enough hire that is intriguing enough to the recruits where all of a sudden Tennessee becomes a player again on the recruiting trail? Um, you also have on the defensive line to Rodney Prevo who's a, a 6'3", 215-pound defensive end from Houston, four-star Army All-American. Most of these guys we've talked about are Army All-Americans. That's also going to play into kind of the home stretch of this recruiting process so that you got 14 guys committed to USC all playing in the Army All-American game. So they'll be down there in San Antonio with us for a whole week. That sometimes helps solidify the bond with all these commits. With Tarani Prevo, he's looking at Oklahoma, and he's looking at Texas A&M. Obviously, Texas A&M, kind of a hot name right now, local school. I think the thing with Prelo, he's really looking for that private school education. That was a big deal. The two schools that really stood out to him, you know, going through the process and taking unofficial visits were, Texas, or were uh, Cal and USC. And so the education thing is, is, is a real big factor for him. Um, his, his uncle, who's kind of his guardian, um, is, a, is a school teacher. So, you know, that's, it's not just talk with him. You know, he's definitely got some family and some people uh, that are in his background that um, are, are big influences on him that really demand that he looks at a school that has a big-time education, and that's kind of always been the thing with USC. But, again, you know what? Distance is also a factor, and when, you know, you're not producing on the field, it can create a second pop. So Prevo is going to be a guy that they're going to have to battle with. Um, so, you know, there's that group of guys that – you know, USC is going to have to kind of have to work on. It's going to be one of those things that down the stretch, um, the guys that they really want to keep, and they want to keep all those guys. I don't think there's any kind of leeway. I think with the defensive linemen specifically, I don't think you can ever get enough defensive linemen. Um, they're going to continue to recruit some guys that, you know, like uh, Montrevious Adams, a uh, 6'2", 280-pound uh, defensive tackle from Georgia, uh, who, you know, they're going to try to bring in him, him in on official visit. Um, they're, you know, still talking to Carl Lawson, who's a 6'2", 250-pound defensive end, who's a five-star uh, from Georgia. That's another guy that, you know, they're going to try to bring in on a visit. You, you want to make sure that you have some plan Bs just in case a guy like Prevo or Hatcher starts to have second thoughts. Um, but you want to take all those guys. And I think that's really where the battles are and will continue to be up until signing day. All right. Well, let's jump into some of these questions now that you've hit all the topics about the commitments and stuff um, and those battles and what's going on there. Let's see. We go to... I put some stuff on Twitter too, so we're gonna have some Twitter commitments and a uh, uh, question, excuse me, in a bit. Um, 
JD and DC, and I think we had one other one. Uh, yeah, JD and DC wanted to know about Max Redfield and what his status is there with uh, his decommitment and what's going on with all of that. Well, USC actually uh, went on an in-home visit uh, Monday, or was it Sunday? Actually, it was Sunday for Max Redfield and um, had a meeting with him. He did not go to the USC-Notre Dame game. He actually had a basketball game at Mission Viejo, so he wasn't able to uh, go down to the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the 6'2", 195-pound four-star safety is still pretty much Notre Dame's to lose. He's going to take that official visit to Oregon. That's going to be, you know, a big deal for him. Oregon's kind of always been a school there for him. Uh, but right now he's Notre Dame's to lose. And I don't know what USC really can do to really get back in that race. Um, USC's not out of it. Uh, they definitely need to secure that official visit. Uh, there's a possibility he officially visits USC, but he has not committed to officially visiting USC. And that tells me something. I mean, that tells me, you know, if he decides, oh, I'm going to go visit some other school, maybe LSU, maybe some other random school, you know, he's got his visit to Notre Dame. He's got a visit to Washington scheduled. Um, he'll have his visit to Oregon. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of those two more trips there that are dangling out there. If he takes five visits, and it's going to be hard, I mean, he needs to start taking those visits because it's hard, it's hard to take five visits all in January, especially if you're playing in the All-Star games. Um, it becomes pretty difficult and it kind of wears on you. So it depends on kind of which visit you're taking when and how it impacts on you. So USC still kind of has to fight for that, uh, that official visit. And that's kind of where they stand at this point. They're fighting for an official visit. That's on the outside looking in. Um, I think right now Max Redfield um, definitely feeling Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's got to be number one on this list with Oregon kind of floating around out there. I'd actually put USC at three right now. Okay, uh, let's go to our first Twitter question. This is from Chris Houston, the Heisman Pundit. Um, I had a discussion with him at the the USC-Notre Dame game, and he wanted to know, is USC ever going to sign another tailback with breakaway speed? I'm sure they will. Uh, it's not going to be in this class. Um, I don't think you could really say that, uh, that uh, Ty Isaac – or Justin Davis are guys with that quote-unquote elite speed. Um, Justin's definitely fast for his size, and Justin, I think, is uh, really kind of his, – his moves are unsuspecting. You know, he's a guy that you look at and you go, okay, he looks like a, a big, good-looking combo back. But we saw him at the opening in the Rivals Five-Star Challenge in Atlanta – and really a guy that made some pretty impressive open field moves and some cuts and, and uh, just kind of lined some guys up uh, to get away from them with, with two-hand touch, and you're not talking about contact, you don't really expect that from a guy that's you know, 6'1", 205 pounds. And he's really one of those guys, like I said earlier, he's going to put on a lot of weight. I mean, he was the least developed guy that we had at the five-star challenge. I mean, you put him next to guys like Greg Bryant, um, you know, even, even the junior uh, Leonard Floret uh, from, uh, from, from uh, Louisiana, New Orleans, who's a five-star 2014 prospect. I mean, you know, Justin was, he looked like he was a, a just, you know, coming into high school compared to development. And so he's a guy that's going to, he's got his best football ahead of him. He's going to be a big deal, but it's not going to be, you know, the elite speed back in that class. Um, you know, 2014, haven't seen that guy necessarily either. It looks like another class uh, that, you know, I talked about Fournette. It looks like another class where you're going to have power backs, you know, big guys. And so uh, it's just one of those things, you know, those guys don't come along, uh, you know, ever so often. Um, you know, C.J. Spiller, 
um, you know, the Reggie Bushes of the world. You know, USC's had some of those guys kind of into their sights. I, I know they felt like Michael Goodson was going to be a big deal. Um, you know, Percy Harvin was a guy that was kind of going to come in and, and take over for Reggie Bush and be the next Reggie Bush. And USC missed out on a couple of those guys. So they ended up bringing in a lot of guys that they kind of hoped would fill that role, but ended up being more combo backs. And, um, you know, I think you really you do have to look the track to see if a guy's really got that elite speed. I mean, you can watch the film, see if, you know, he can break those angles. Uh, but to really get that sense of, okay, he is this fast. You kind of have to go and put the watch on him. And most of these guys, if, if they're really, really, really fast, they are running track too. You know, you see a lot of four threes and four fours in the database uh, with guys that are, you know, five ten, 180 pounds. And then you watch him, you go, eh, you know, he's, he's, he's fast, he's quick, but the difference between being fast and quick uh, is, is, you know, sometimes, you know, that 40 yards. <laughs> it's that, you know, getting past that initial first wave of the defense and then getting in that secondary and being able to kind of hit that other gear and get past that safety who's trying to break that angle on you. So, um, yeah, and right now it, there's nobody that just jumps into sight that, oh, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy that could be um, an elite speed guy. But, you know, at the same time, you can't just go after a guy that's a track guy that weighs 175 pounds and just cross your fingers and go, well, you know, he's really fast. We know he's really fast. He runs 10-5 legitimately, let's hope if, you know, he can play running back. You know, you don't want to do that either. So um, I like the direction USC has gone just with this recruiting class. I think they got two of the best guys they could possibly get for what they need to do as an offense and kind of where they need to go for an offense. I think this past year their, their short yardage situation was a debacle. It was a mess. It was a mess because the offensive line didn't play well. But it was also a mess because they had a guy that was 5'7", 190 pounds as their premier tailback. Um, you know, Silas Red's a serviceable guy, but, you know, he's only about 5'9", 5'10", 205 pounds, and he was his first year in the offense. So, really, you're looking at Rudy McNeil as a guy that's really your, your, your better running back. He's certainly not going to move any piles. When they bring in Justin Davis, they bring in Ty Isaac, those guys are going to take a little while to develop and, and to, to, to be, you know, those big-time guys. I don't know how much you can put on freshmen, but with, you know, hopefully Trey Madden coming back and, and being, uh, you know, healthy and returning from the ACL, you've got a stable of guys that can kind of move that pile. They can lean forward on runs and get those extra two, three yards, which USC wasn't getting this year. And they ended up being, you know, fourth and two, fourth and one, and they weren't being able to get that either. All right, let's get back to uh email question. This one is from uh, Lee in the Marino Valley. He said, why doesn't USC recruit these running quarterbacks? It seems to me that every team they play has one or two. Isn't it time that SC starts looking into recruiting more athletic quarterbacks, at least to practice against, so the defense is not so surprised every time they see one? That's Lee in the Marino Valley. Well, the first issue is that you don't have the scholarships to just bring in a quarterback that you can practice against. Um, so you can't just bring in a guy and go, well, you know what, he doesn't fit our system, he's never going to play for us, but he's great for our scout team. You can't do that with the 75. That's, that's an issue. 85, it's debatable. 75, can't do. Uh, the other reason they haven't recruited them is because offensively USC does not run that system. However, it doesn't mean that they haven't actually looked and targeted those guys. Uh, they haven't brought any in, but they have had – uh, plenty of guys over the years that they've recruited, um, you know, during the processes, during the recruiting cycles that have been quote unquote dual threat quarterbacks. And you can just go back to a year ago, USC recruited Tyler Miles and they came in late on Tyler Miles and really 
kind of gave him a lot to think about. He, there were nowhere in his recruitment for the longest time, and it was really not until the end of November, December, did they actually, you know, get into talking to him and get him in on a, an official visit. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where he's at the podium and he's not sure what he wants to do. And so there was a real chance there that USC could have gotten Siler Miles. Siler Miles was more of your, you know, dual threat guy that's athletic uh, type quarterback. You can adjust your system uh, to your talent, and I think in that situation, USC may have done that. I don't think Lane Kiffin is quite as against um, having a, a little more of a spread system uh, than maybe Pete Carroll was. Uh, I think Lane Kiffin really, quite frankly, wants to win, and if he feels like he can adjust the offense to you know whatever quarterback he has, he's going to do that. It's just one of those things that they have the reputation for the pro-style offense, and so the pro-style quarterbacks, I think, take them more seriously. I think if you're a guy like Siler Miles, you know, Lane Kiffin may be sitting in your living room talking about, hey, look it, you know, we'll, we'll adjust my, our system to, to fit your talents. And if you, you can run, then we'll run some zone read option. If, uh, you know, you don't want to run, then we won't do that either. Whatever you want to do, I don't think you buy into that as much because you don't have the, the pedigree. There's no, there's no tradition for that. There's nothing on tape that shows USC running the spread offense, that shows USC running the zone read with the quarterback. Uh, so it's, it's you go, well, you know what, Washington, it's a little you know easier to believe that, hey, they have quarterbacks that have kind of run that system. They do that more. Um, so it's kind of a, a chicken and an egg thing. You know, you, ha- you, you, like you, you want to bring one of those guys in to run that system, but it's hard to sell those kids on that system. So if you don't have them in your system, you can't run the system. Okay, let's go back to Twitter. Mr. Warhop, at Mr. Warhop, he says, is it possible we could see Michael, he says Michael Hutchinson, Michael Hutchings is what he means, at safety at USC? If so, good move? No, I don't think so. I think he's definitely going to play linebacker. I think um, at one point, I mean, he did play some safety uh, at De La Salle early in his career, and at one point it kind of looked like, well, maybe he's a guy that would be more of a strong safety. Well, he's going out of that. He grew out of that this summer, and really towards the end of the summer, we saw him put on that weight, and we saw him real early at the Southern California Nike camp, and he'd actually lost weight because he'd been sick. He lost like five, uh, six pounds um, that weekend, and he was looking kind of slimmer, and it was like, oh, okay, he's you know not really put on as much weight as you kind of expect him to. And then you saw him later in the summer, uh, kind of at a healthy weight, and he's you know he's he's definitely uh, he's in that 220, getting into the 225 pound range, and I think definitely a linebacker, possibly even a Mike linebacker. I really really liked what I saw from him uh, from a a field general standpoint. You know, when we saw him at the opening, uh, he was a guy that was playing Mike linebacker and he really made those checks at the line. He seemed very comfortable making sure that he was not only lined up correctly, but the guys around him were lined up correctly. You know, the shifts and the motions that the teams were doing in the seven on seven tournaments, uh, he was you know, making those calls and pointing guys out. And he just seemed real natural and comfortable in the middle of the defense. And I think if he continues to put on weight, you know, he's got a nice size to him. He's not too tall. He's not that big angular uh, linebacker that you kind of go, okay, I'm not real sure about him. And maybe, you know, disengaging from offensive linemen just leverage-wise, he's, he's, he's pretty stout. You know, he's got a frame on him that's pretty stout. He could, if he gets a little taller, you might look at him more as a, maybe a Sam. Uh, but there's a possibility he could come in and, and play some Mike and be a legitimate linebacker down the line for USC. I, of course, have to note I've been a big proponent of putting 
uh, Hayes Puller at middle linebacker. I, I think it's more about the player, his style of play, the intangibles he brings, than, okay, we just have to put a guy there that's 240 pounds. Uh, and, and obviously we're going to see what happens with USC's defense if Monty sticks around, um, if there's some changes in the defensive coordinating you know, that could uh, definitely change, okay, who you kind of want playing Mike Linebacker. I don't foresee USC getting away from the 4-3. I think they're sticking with the 4-3. I think that that shell concept is kind of where they feel very comfortable with. I think because Lane has uh, more ties to that system and is probably more comfortable uh, with the coaches that run that system, that's the guys he's going to bring in. And we've heard talk, you know, if Monty Kiffin uh, steps down and leaves, maybe Dwayne Walker comes back in the mix. Uh, who was, you know, actually a former uh, USC coach before he went to UCLA. Now he's at New Mexico State as a head coach. Uh, there's been some talk, you know, obviously Joe Barry would be a name. Um, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen with the Chargers organization in North Turner, uh, but he was a guy that was a linebacker coach at USC and then went over to the Chargers. Uh, word on the street is he's actually making less with the Chargers than he was at USC. Um, Monty Kiffin's making about a cool mill at USC, so there's going to be a lot of money to play with if he steps down, uh, you know, look for USC to do something, but stick with that 4-3 system. I just don't think they're going to go away from it and all of a sudden do something crazy and go, hey, we're going to run a 3-4 or a 3-3 stack or something real different that's going to change You know how we use the personnel that's already on the roster. All right, let's go back to Twitter. This is from jbrax1122. Uh, what are the chances with Trey Johnson and Priest Willis? Uh, you know, not terrible with Trey Johnson. Trey Johnson has actually been in contact with USC for a long while. Um, uh, uh, set up an official visit to USC for January 18th. Uh, we're going to see if, you know, that follows through. Um, obviously with Auburn and the coaching change, uh, that's, you know, affected him. But he was already looking around. Uh, it seems like when they recruited Reuben Foster, uh, Auburn meaning recruiting Reuben Foster, the five-star um, linebacker that was living in Georgia and then crossed the border and went to Auburn, Alabama, actually goes to Auburn High School. Now, uh, got a big tattoo of Auburn on his forearm. I'm not sure how you decommit when you get a tattoo, but we'll see. Uh, but once uh, Auburn actually got him to flip over from Alabama and commit to Auburn, it seemed like, you know, Trey Johnson started looking around and going, eh, you know, they're, they're, you know they had me committed, and now it's all about Reuben Foster. So that's kind of played into a little bit, uh, his looking around. Um, you know, Penn State was there. He was looking a little bit at Penn State, uh, looking a little bit at Florida. Um, he's going to look around at the SEC and maybe even the Big Ten. USC's been a school there for him for a while, and it looks like he's going to take that official visit. So if you take that official visit, there's a possibility that um, you know USC has with Trey Johnson. Preach Willis, I feel, is, is just cool on USC. I, I think that, that there's been a parting ways there. I, I don't get the vibe that USC, I think at some point, just kind of got frustrated. They, they wanted to get him committed early. They wanted um, to just kind of wrap things up with him, and he just never was ready to do that. Then there was a lot of stuff going on uh, just with, you know, other guys that they, they could recruit, um, other cornerbacks, and I think just questions as to, okay, you know, where does Willis fit into all of this with him going back and forth and flirting with all these schools? Um, you know, a lot of people feel like he's going to end up at UCLA. I can see that. You know, I can see with him and, and Tahan Goodman, the uh, 6'2", 195-pound safety from Ranch Cucamonga, I can see them both ending up at UCLA, but kind of, sort of, feel like 
there's a chance Priest Willis could end up somewhere else. Uh, I think Priest Willis could end up really a lot of places. Um, you know, LSU is going to be an interesting visit for him. Um, I think Colin Goodman definitely ends up local, and I think UCLA's um, kind of becoming his 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 leader by a good margin. Uh, but with Priest, I could see one of those things where. You know, Tom Goodman thinks that uh, they're both going to UCLA, and then you know, at the last minute, all of a sudden, Priest ends up going to 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 LSU or Arizona State or just a weird school. I think he's more capable of that. How does that you know play with USC? It means USC is not ever going to really be out of it. I think I, I think there's always a little possibility, but right now, I just I feel like that's cooling, and I, I don't know that USC is really recruiting him hard, and I don't know that Priest is really feeling USC. And it's not so much Priest. It's just, I think, his, his, his entourage, everybody around him, um, I think, wants him to, to look at other schools. I think Priest, quite frankly, would have committed to USC when he was offered back in the spring uh, on the spot, but uh, it didn't happen. It wasn't in the plans. And so I think from that point on, USC kind of had to look at uh, some other options. Uh, let's see. It's uh, Greg Rosales from Twitter wants to know, does USC go after a safety with the last spot or try to get someone from Auburn? And he puts Lawson in parentheses. Anyone else? What are your thoughts? You already talked about Priest Willis, but any other thoughts about what they could do? Both. <laughs> they could do both. You know, it kind of just depends on uh, how things play out and, and what the number situation is. But we know they're going to go after Lam- uh, Leon McQuay, uh, the third. Leon McQuay was on the radar, always on the radar. It didn't even matter if Tahan Goodman would have committed to USC and Max Redfield would have stuck around. I think they still would have been on Leon McQuay. Uh, he's been very high on their board for a long time, and so he's going to be one of those guys as a safety that USC continues to recruit. Is there going to be another guy that pops up, a plan B that pops up? Um, you know, if, if, if they lose out on Redfield and Tahan Goodman goes to UCLA, you know, possibility. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's some talk about Tyler Foreman. You know, he just recently committed to uh, Wisconsin. Uh, he's a six-one, 180-pound uh, safety from Crespi High School, who we've seen a few times. Kind of thought that he developed into being more of a linebacker uh, in college, but evidently he went to the Rising Stars camp and played really, really well as a cornerback. So that kind of surprised a lot of people, and they liked him. Uh, there's still the Robinson twins out there. You know, there's still uh, a possibility with those guys officially visiting USC. You've got Tyrell and Tyree Robinson, uh, both about 6'4", uh, 200 pounds roughly, um, a linebacker. And, you know, Tyree's a guy who could play safety or he could play wide receiver. And so we'll see what happens with the wide receiver position because we talked about Edris Nassington and him getting in. You know, Sebastian LaRue is a guy that really I don't think is going to be a receiver at USC. I think he's got to play cornerback. And even then, I think that's an issue because he doesn't want to. I think he wants to be a receiver. He's told me time and time again he wants to be able to guy, wants to be a guy that can contribute as a true freshman at wide receiver. I don't see that happening at USC. I don't even think it's Robert Woods, please. I see that happening at USC. So – that's going to be something that, you know, we kind of watch and, and see how that plays out. Um, so, you know, that receiver position might pop open. It might not be all about safety. Uh, but Tyree is a guy that can play both. Tyrell is a guy that's definitely outside linebacker, perhaps grows into being a defensive end. Um, both of those guys are committed to Oregon. But as I said, you know, there's going to be some recruiting there. And <laughs> there's going to be some guys looking around. And those guys are possibilities as well. Carl Lawson, possibility. Um, Altravius Adams, possibility. I don't think you ever really – can have enough defensive linemen, uh, especially good defensive linemen. So I think anybody that they can have visit that they feel is a quality guy, uh, they're going to give them a look. And when you've got guys like Eddie Vanderdose going and taking their visits, hey, it's got to be a two-way street. You know, you're going to look around? Okay, we're going to look around too.
Okay, let's see. We got, I think, one more. Um, and actually, two more here. This is uh, Twiggy Dig. Uh, who in the class, and that's kind of a strange Twitter name, who in this class has the most potential to make an immediate impact in their first two years, a la Marquise Lee or Ray Malaluga? Always very hard to predict. I mean, I think Marquise Lee, uh, nobody really saw him coming as being the guy that would contribute the most as a freshman. Um, I think, you know, with Ray and, and Brian Cushing and those guys, that was a little more easier to spot. Uh, but I think we all thought, Marquise Lee really was going to end up playing free safety for USC and being that first free safety that they've had in a number of years that was actually a coverage free safety, a guy that was really a ball hawk and not more of a physical linebacker type um, that, uh, you know, Pete Carroll had and, and Lane Kiffin has had in his first few years. Um, so, you know, Marquise Lee was harder to spot. There could be, you know, a guy like that. It, you, know, you know, Stephen Mitchell is, is a guy that has really, really blown us away this year as a receiver. Um, tremendous talent. Uh, a guy that works hard, who's smart. You know, he's not big, uh, but he plays big. You know, he's powerful. Um, a guy that can definitely uh, be an asset to you on kick returns. You know, we've seen him on punt returns and kick returns this year against some very good teams, modern day, Corona Centennial. And he's been really, really difficult uh, to stop. I mean, he's been the guy that you, you hold your breath every time he catches the ball. And so, you know, that's a guy that could be a sneaky guy, like, kind of like Marquise Lee that comes out of nowhere that ends up being this big-time player, uh, especially, you know, if you lose Robert Woods um, to the NFL draft. And that opens up that spot, uh, you know, even more for a guy like uh, Stephen Mitchell that nobody would really see him coming. Um, I think that, you know, the defensive linemen are always that's – that's a position where it's a little more – you know, blow the whistle and let them go at it. So, you know, Kenny Bigelow and, and Eddie Vanderdose and, uh, you know, even, you know, Tarani Prevo is, is an interesting prospect. You know, he wants to come in to USC at, at about 235, 240 pounds. Right now he weighs 217. If he's able to put on that weight, you start to look at the guy and go, okay, this is, this is a different animal than we saw in high school. You know, what we saw during the summer was a guy that really kind of looked like a Michael Morgan type, a guy that was – a defensive end, played like a defensive end, but physically was a linebacker. And you go, ah, he's never going to be able to put on enough weight to be able to be a guy that can put his hand down and, and, and play against these 6'6", 300-pound offensive tackles. Well, he gained 15 pounds literally in, the, in about a month and a half from when we saw him in Portland to when, we, to when the beginning of his season uh, started. So if he's actually able to put on that weight and get into USC at, at 230 pounds, I mean, that's a guy that's a very dynamic player. Granted, you already have Devon Kennard and you have Morgan Breslin there. It's going to be hard for him to crack the lineup. But like I said, with defensive linemen, there's less of that process of understanding the game plan and and all these things that with X's and O's terminology and scheme, it's a little more, hey, go and play, you know, plug and play type position. And I, I think with Bigelow and I think with all those defensive linemen, you know, you have a chance for somebody to just jump up and, and, and grab a spot and, and really impress. So I say, you know, definitely the defensive line is going to be, you know, a, a, a big uh, a big position to watch for, for true freshmen. Um, and I probably that safety position with Sue Cravens. Sue Cravens, to answer the question, if I was putting money on it, would be the guy. Just because he's smart, he's coming in early, he's a guy that's very, from an attitude and com uh, composure standpoint, uh, older 
than his age would suggest. And it's funny because he's actually a year ha- a year behind his class in terms of age. Um, you know, he was 16 turning uh, turning 17 uh, when everybody was 18 or 17 turning 18 uh, in the 2013 class. So he's got much more physical development ahead of him. Um, but the safety position, because there's going to be you know some openings there and some opportunities there uh, because guys are leaving. That's going to be a position where USC has to find somebody. You know, they have to find somebody that can come in and can play early for them. And Sue Cravens being the best player on the West Coast, uh, I think, and, and it, you know, that kind of includes maybe Max Brown. I'm kind of, you know, apples and oranges as far as trying to compare, you know, quarterback and how big of an impact he can have to a uh, safety. I just think, you know, Sua could just do it all. He's just one of those guys that if you put it, you know, football was a one-on-one game and, and, and you had, you know, a guy that had the block, tackle, catch, throw, do it all, he'd be that guy that you want to get. And so I, I think with Sua, he, I find it hard for him to stay off the football field. I just think he's going to find a spot somewhere doing something uh, at some point. Um, and to say, like I said, the safety position, the need position, that lends itself to that. All right. Well, thanks very much, Gerard, for coming on the show. We cannot let Is that it? That we're done? We're done, man. Well, it's like 50 minutes already, but we don't want to – we're not going to wait another month. We'll be probably doing these weekly now, at least going through signing day. So um, send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can, you know, go on peristylepodcast.com as well and leave us a voicemail there. Uh, Gerard will be answering questions. We'll try to do these every week now because recruiting is going to take over pretty much the the focus of what we're going to talk about on uscfootball.com through signing day so gerard thanks again for uh coming on the show thanks for having me all right everyone else thank you very much for tuning in to the peristyle podcast don't forget you can check out uscfootball.com for more information lots of scoop that gerard will drop every friday in the war rooms and on the peristyle if you don't have a subscription, we're giving away 30-day free trials right now. Just go to the sign-up page on uscfootball.com and enter the promo code USC30. That's USC30. And then if you have one and you want to give the gift of a subscription to somebody else, some, one of your friends that loves USC, loves Trojans, and wants to get the scoop, give the gift of scoop. You can go to uscfootball.com, click on the gift subscription icon, and actually if you give someone a, a year subscription, you get 30 days free yourself. So check that out. Some good stuff for the holidays. Thanks again. We'll be back with the regular podcast on Monday. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 